today on Ag News Daily. Like you said, I'm a dairy farmer. I'm fifth generation. I work in Central Region in Mexico. We have a 500 cow dairy. I work with my dad. He's a veterinarian, and my brother. He's an agronomist. And me, I take care of the business part of the job, so the boring stuff. Welcome to a Wednesday episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Tanner Winterhoff partnered up with Delaney Howell this morning. How are you doing, Delaney? Oh, I'm good. You never say partnered up. I know because I complained last time about saying alongside. So That's uh, we're going to go, we're going to probably introduce a lot of different introductions here over the next couple of shows to see which ones work. Roll that off the tongue the best. I like it. I like it. Got to keep those listeners on their toes, you know? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. <laughs> it is. Texas has been a lot in our news and our uh, other co-host and partner on the podcast, Cassidy, is always appreciative of that. But the first headline I'm going to hit here is a $6 billion e-fuel plant is planned for North Texas. There's a new type of fuel company coming to Houston. It's looking to expand itself in the North Texas region. The Houston Chronicle reports HIF Global is looking for a site in Somerville County, southwest of Fort Worth, that plans to build a $6 billion plant to capture carbon dioxide and turn it into synthetic type of methanol. The new methanol could be used in gasoline, jet fuel, or liquefied petroleum gas. So uh, a little advancement here we have in the fuels industry, Delaney. You said methanol? Methanol. That's correct. I don't think I've ever heard of that. Is that different from methane? It sounds like methane and ethanol put together. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to say that I know a lot about it. <laughs> as far as that goes, in a quick Google search here says methanol is known as methyl alcohol amongst other names as a chemical version. It's the simplest of alcohol. The formula is CH3OH. <laughs> okay. So I think that would be like what's in rubbing alcohol, wouldn't it? Certainly could be. It looks like it. I don't. I'm <laughs> trying to read as we go. It's flammable and is distinct alcoholic odor, similar to that of rubbing alcohol. Alcohol. So there you go. Okay. I was going to say, I think I feel like I've seen that on a rubbing alcohol bottle before. So now that makes sense for me. Okay. There you go. A new one's coming to North Texas. Okay. Well, I'm surprised by that news, Tanner, because it's expected today that the Department of Commerce will release their final estimates for first quarter GDP at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time. And they're expecting to show a one and a half percent drop in annualized GDP. Now, of course, we are closing out quarter two of 2022 here end of this week. And as we've discussed in the podcast before, if we see a second quarter of a decline in GDP, that could be an indication that we are heading into a recession. We're also expecting to see the Fed, Jerome Powell, is due to speak at the European Central Bank Forum later today. And people are going to be watching his comments very closely to see how he goes about discussing the U.S.'s potential interest rate rate hike here for the rest of 2022. But he testified in Congress last week um, that they didn't handle things super well, but they were doing their best now to continue to fight inflation. And that was the Fed's biggest enemy at this time was inflation. 
Yeah, I think it's a lot of people's biggest enemy uh, as far as that goes. But it uh, will be interesting to continue to stay up on the beat of what they see going forward. Uh, DTN had reported here that cited an article discussing inflation as the biggest headwind in the new niche beef market, mm. climate neutral beef, Delaney. They are testing the consumer waters with beef that is considered low emission or climate neutral. It's gaining traction in some key foreign markets and has now found its way to U.S. shelves. And as consumers are paying the highest price for beef that they've ever paid in history, it will really test the viability of this market. So Australia and New Zealand have been setting the pace for this new animal protein said Justin Sherrard of Rabobank's Global Sector for Strategic Animal Protein Analysis. What a title that is. But the growth and success in this market is contingent upon the availability of suppliers. So uh, that and monitoring the certification system. Because Delaney, it's one thing to say that your beef is climate neutral, but what will you have to back those claims? claims yes we are both struggling for words this morning i think an extra cup of coffee would go a long way well i don't drink coffee so have one for me too (laughs) then i'll be really ready to go yeah that's true you can do the podcast for both of us then (laughs) that's pretty good I'm, i'm actually surprised by that tanner because you know we're expecting to see prices at the grocery store remain high elevated because of inflation, but also because of potential production issues this year. So I'm surprised consumers are willing to spend more on products like that. Yeah, it is. And another article that reported kind of along the side of your demand issues causing food prices to go up, the Food and Agricultural Organization of the United Nations, or FAO, reported that ag production needs to jump 28% over the next 10 years to ensure that there's enough food for everybody in the world. That would triple the increase in productivity in the world that we have seen growth-wise in the last 10 years. So uh, the global agricultural output is only forecasted to grow 1.1% per year during the next 10 years, which will cause issues in low to middle-income countries. So we're talking about creating niche markets in the beef industry for here in the U.S., but there are other places in the world that would just like a cut of meat. Well, that's interesting that you mentioned that, Tanner, but one thing that's declining in prices for the third or fourth week now has been retail fertilizer prices. It's really interesting if you look at the chart that DTN uses to track fertilizer. You know, 2022 was basically a straight line up with maybe a little hiccup around harvest season. But this year, we're seeing kind of the complete opposite trend. And the majority of fertilizers continue to be less expensive for the third week of June in 2022. And this trend has been in place now for about a month, Tanner. So, you know, there's always the argument of how long does it take to make a trend? Well, folks are thinking that perhaps... We might be in a trend now to see lower fertilizer prices. However, Josh Linville, who we've had on the podcast before, uh, forewarns that we're we're seeing prices dip pretty drastically. So we still need to be aware and alert of what the potential backlash of this rapid decline could be. And on the flip side of that, Tanner, Russian President Vladimir Putin and 
Brazilian President Bolsonaro met earlier or had a phone call earlier this week to discuss global food security. And they also very uh, publicly confirmed their intention to strengthen the strategic partnership between the Kremlin and Brazil. Putin also assured Bolsonaro in a phone call that Brazil would be first in line to get fertilizers that Russia is, of course, producing and putting out. And that's certainly an interesting partnership, to say the least. Yeah, it is. Uh, But obviously, desperate times maybe call for desperate measures. I mean, uh, you do have to look out, as we talked about food security, where things, products, raw goods are going to come from. But yes, a very interesting partnership. Well, the last two pieces that I have, I'll kind of blend together. Is They're more entertaining news than anything else. For the second time in 30 days, people have been, or at least persons, have been gored by bison in the Yellowstone Park. So second visitor attacked in less than under a, ma- a month. A man from Colorado was injured after being gored by a bison at Yellowstone National Park. Officials state on Tuesday, the 34-year-old was walking with his family on a boardwalk when a bison charged the group. This comes less than a month after a woman sustained a puncture wound and other injuries after being tossed 10 feet in the air by a 25-year-old bison. Now, it did state in this article that people may just be less aware of the dangers of wildlife and are approaching them too closely. But uh, we as ag industry and listeners of this podcast probably have a really good feel on what's the safe way to approach an animal and how to maintain uh, safety on our farms. But a lot of that, Delaney, we probably learned as kids. And Jenna Hoffman of AgWeb had put a poll out on Twitter. Did you see this poll about what is your least favorite childhood farm chore? So her article goes on here that she surprised the lowest ranking least favorite. So the chores that you enjoyed the most or hated the least to be a play on words were power washing barns, fixing fence and cleaning out grain bins with only three, five and 8% of the responses coming in those three categories. So what do you think Delaney is the most hated childhood job? Do I get options? Uh, Sure. We can throw a couple options at you. How about weeding the family garden, uh, square baling straw or hay, or chopping weeds in a soybean field? Well, I know what my favorite, my least favorite childhood chore was. So I'm just going to go for it. Mine was uh, weed eating or weeding the garden. Well, so that was the, uh, that still fell in the, um, least, least favorite. So that is the wrong answer. You're on the far end of the spectrum. <laughs> Chopping weeds, walking soybeans was the highest with 25% of the votes. Picking up rocks in the field came back with 20% and hauling square bales, baling square bales of straw and hay at 16. So the, well, what was most, yours? Uh, I think that, um, I had it easy as a child. Walking beans. We had a motorized, I don't even know what you want to call it, a, a bean walker. So that job was, was easier than picking rocks. So I would say picking rocks was probably my least favorite 
out there tossing those into a loader bucket. So I would have probably made the top two. I enjoyed the workout nature of baling hay, but then again, I didn't do it all summer. Hmm. Okay. I guess I'm in the minority then, huh? <laughs> Just a little bit, but that I'm doesn't okay with surprise that. me. It's fine. It's fine. But that's the last piece I have for news today. Well, I don't have too much other news myself, but we do have tomorrow's quarterly grain stock and acreage report coming out, Tanner, and it could be an interesting one because analysts are all over the board as far as what they expect to see coming out of that report. So that releases tomorrow at 11 a.m. Central Time, and we're going to kick the podcast out afterwards to discuss the report and what the markets do following that report. But really... All bets are off as to what will be released there. But there is some rumors, some speculation, some questions asking, will planted soybean acres exceed planted corn acres for the first time since 1983? That's the big question a lot of folks are asking heading into tomorrow's report. Yeah, I saw that article as well. It'll be interesting to see what comes back. Also, uh, see where ending stocks end up. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. We know, we know that China's uh, easing their lockdowns. So is that going to warrant more exports? Um, yeah. And time will tell. We'll see what the report says. We certainly will, but we can also see where markets are trading in the overnight heading into the opening bell this morning. We're seeing strength once again in the grain markets, not a lot of strength in corn Flirting with neutral here, trading around 659 heading into the open. New crop soybeans are up about six and a half cents at 1469. September Chicago wheat up 15 and a quarter at 951. And hard red winter wheat up about 15 and a half cents in the KC contract, trading right at 1005 this morning. Livestock are having the opposite story today. Live cattle, feeder cattle, and lean hogs all trading lower heading into the opening session as August is down about 75 cents at 132.72. August feeders down 230, closing or opening at a buck 71.82. And lean hogs are about a dollar 05 lower in the August contract this morning, opening around 103.82 Tanner. So good to see that we've seen some rebound there in the grain markets. I think we've recovered about 90. 90 cents of the losses that we've given up here over the last couple of weeks. So we are clawing our way back, but weather and inflation are kind of the two biggest things that the markets are going to be watching right now. Yeah. And this is typical for the year. I mean, without the inflation factor, it's a weather related market. So uh, interesting to see what the report will bring us tomorrow. And it'll be interesting to see how the markets react to that. But time for us to jump into our conversation with a great guest today. Well, folks, we are excited to talk about the dairy industry today, chatting with Gina Gutierrez, who is a dairy farmer in Mexico. Gina, thank you so much for joining us today. I'd love to start out. I know you very well, but our listeners don't yet. So if you wouldn't mind, would you start with just sharing interesting about your background? Hi, Delaney. Thank you to you and Tanner for the invitation. Like you said, I'm a dairy farmer. I'm fifth generation. I work in central region in Mexico. We have a 500 uh, cow dairy 
I work with my dad. He's a veterinarian and my brother, he's an agronomist. And me, I take, I take um, care of the business part of the job. So the boring stuff, which allows my brother and my dad to really focus on cow welfare, uh, feed production, nutrition, diet, genetics, all of that. Interesting. So that is a well-run family operation of having all kinds of duties split up. So uh, it's always exciting to talk to producers in all aspects of agriculture, especially those included with livestock. So how is or has the milk market been for you guys recently? Well, as many dairy farmers around the world, I think it's been difficult um, with inflation and prices rising, rising, rising every day. Uh, we're struggling um, and I'm saving my co-op in terms of I have a place to where to sell my milk every day and they take uh, care of everything from processing it, from taking care of it care of it from the farm to the consumer, right? And we have the marketing team and all that. We have a little bank that support us that that's been really helpful in this time. But yeah, it's it's been hard and milk prices in Mexico aren't as good as we'd hoped for being that um, milk prices in other parts of the world have been rising as well as our costs. Not at the same rhythm, I guess, but here it's a bit of um, a slow part of, of the process. Milk prices don't, don't rise at the same level. Yeah, and Gina, I would love to get more of an understanding of your cooperative because I think from a U.S. perspective, you know, we as cooperative members essentially, quote unquote, buy into a co-op and we get paid dividends or get paid, you know, based on what we produce. How does a cooperative, how is the cooperative you work for set up there in Mexico? The same way, I guess. Uh, we do have dividends as well as the milk price. So in the milk price, we're also getting paid for fat and protein. But curious thing, uh, Mexico is not a big market for protein. It's not like, you know, in other parts of the world, Everybody understands the greatness of milk protein, but not in Mexico. Here is mostly the fat because we put heavy cream on top of everything. So that's the main uh, component that we aim to, to have in our milk. But we also have dividends. So we do have to buy shares for the, for the co-op and those shares allows us to produce a certain amount of milk. So we have like a quota inside our co-op. That's, that is interesting. It, it is pretty parallel to the co-ops that we've had experience with. Uh, but one of the reasons we got you on was this is National Dairy Month. So uh, we are nearing the end of the month, but it is nice to see an industry get a little bit of extra focus. So from Mexico, do you get to see any benefit from there being a National Dairy Month in the U.S.? Absolutely, because now that we have, you know, social media and all in myself that I'm promoting dairy consumption in social media as well since, well, all my life. But in 2015, I started a Facebook page where I do it in a more formal platform. 
there is more visibility because we get to share what you guys do because there is no National Dairy Month in Mexico. We celebrate uh, World Milk Day on June 1st, but that's about it. And I was very active there as well. But in terms of uh, National Dairy Month, we don't have a lot of activities. So, but we do benefit from you guys having the dairy sector with, uh, with a focus and more visibility. And Gina, you mentioned there the Facebook group. So tell us a little bit more about the Facebook group that you help manage. And also tell us about Global Farmer Network, because you also are part of that network that helps to continue to tell agriculture's story. Well, I actually met Global Farmer Network through Facebook. I found them there. I sent them a message through Facebook because I was promoting milk. I have a fan page with, I don't know, 60,000 followers there. And I saw Global Farmer Network promoting a lot of positive things for farmers, technology, markets, and, and other aspects. In that time, it was 2016, I think. And we connected through that. I nominated myself to, to get in. They accepted me, and I joined the roundtable in 2016. Two years later, they chose me for the Kleckner Award, which is an a, a, a award that they give every year to a farmer that shows skills of leadership in terms of promoting trade, technology, food security, and sustainable practices in agriculture. So I was very honored to be chosen by them. And this February, just four months ago, I started working with them as their community outreach advocates. So I'm really proud of that, really happy. And it's been great because I got to connect with you, Delaney, too, as well. Oh, I don't know if that which should be as big a perk as you think. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but that, uh, that is exciting. And that's fun to hear that, you know, social media can have such a large impact on, on agriculture to, you know, get the message shared out there. That's kind of one of the things that we love doing on this podcast is to deliver the news and then also deliver the stories right alongside to our listeners. So what, what do you see in the future as we get ready to wrap up being one of the biggest challenges for dairy and maybe even agriculture uh, that we're going to face here coming up? Farmers were having, we've been having to adapt to new conditions, you know, since the beginning of time, um, I'm fifth generation, so my family has been farming for over a hundred years now, and things are not the same when my great great grandfather started farming. Obviously, not the same even as when my grandfather was alive with us and farm um, farm with us still. Things are changing so quickly, and farmers have to adapt. Now, even to more stuff, including climate change and all those challenges. But I I think the biggest challenge still remains as people um, trusting us because there's a lot of misinformation out there. They think that that farmers aren't doing things the right way. They have many opinions on, on that. And we struggle to get the information out there. But it, that's not the big thing. The big thing is, okay, we have the information, we get it out there. Are people trusting us? And I think they should because we're feeding them as we would feed our families too. 
So I think that's one of the, the biggest challenges and having farmers with a seat at a table where decisions are being made. Gina, before we let you go, you mentioned the Facebook page that you manage for your dairy farm. Tell us how our listeners can follow along with you on social media. Um, the Facebook page is called La Vida Láctea, which is a, a play on words on, on the Milky Way, the galaxy. In Spanish, is La Vida Láctea, so I play on with that. So it, it translated to Spanish, to English, I'm sorry, and it is the Milky Life. And they can find me there. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. But find me through the Global Farm Network. I think it's easier and not with without the Spanish component of it. Yes, fantastic. Thank you so much, Sheena, for joining us today. We really loved hearing about your story and the dairy. Thank you, Delaney. Thank you, Tanner, for the invitation. Well, Tanner, that was a great conversation there with Gina Gutierrez, who is a dairy farmer down there in Mexico. She was in in Germany with me a couple weeks ago, and so I've really gotten to know her story, and it's very interesting. A lot of similarities in the U.S. and Mexico dairy industry, but a lot of differences as well. Yeah, uh, what a great person to have on and talk to us a little bit about the challenges in the dairy sector. Uh, It's always eye-opening and good for us all to get a perspective all around agriculture. Absolutely. But we're going to continue great conversations. I know we've got a really good interview that you and Cassidy recorded with the Association of American Railroads to talk about some of the supply chain issues we've been discussing on the podcast. And that'll be airing tomorrow, not to give too much away, but folks, it'll be a good conversation. So you do want to stay tuned for that one. Follow along with us on social media at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And with that, Tanner, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.